We are back to our studies in Proverbs, and this will be based on Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. In earlier studies, we've often observed these virtues and disciplines given by God for our response, like self-control, resisting temptation, taking responsibility for your life and your role in your marriage and family, being a good neighbor. In the early chapters, we are impressed by the need to apply God's wisdom in our lives, general appeals to be wise and to honor and glorify God. Then we get into very specific applications, not in lengthy discourses, but in proverbial format, God's text messages. We are now in that phase of these classes where we are focused on specific topics. And if you have already turned to Proverbs 23, 29 through 35, here, you already know, is an important topic. This was important all the way back in the time of Noah, up through the time of Christ and the apostles, and there isn't any doubt this is a major issue in our time. The subject is intoxication. There are some personal disclosures I believe I need to express in the beginning before we get into our text. I'm not a drinker, not even moderate. I just don't drink intoxicating beverages at all. In addition to that personal policy, I admit I am prejudiced against the alcohol industry. I have witnessed the ruin that alcohol brings into the lives of people. Our nation, even our government, takes a favorable view of alcohol to the point of celebration, in spite of the damage it causes. And I'm convinced by Scripture that I should not drink alcohol at all. I know that my view is considered extreme by many, unreasonable or just wrong, but it's my personal conviction, and I don't want you to just infer it. I'll just state that up front for the sake of clarity and disclosure. While that disclosure seems necessary, what's really important, most important, what has God said? Here's one part of what God has said on this subject. Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. I've preached sermons on this passage many times over 50 years. And I sometimes begin by saying this passage begins with a pop quiz. 
Verse 29 opens with a series of questions. Listen again. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Verse 29 is a series of questions, and the next verse supplies the answer. Who exhibits these symptoms? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Now, this is not some sort of deep, complicated, or mysterious passage with hidden meaning that you have to navigate or definitions to be extensively explored. No, this is simple. God's text message in Proverbs about intoxication. Who has the symptoms given in verse 29? And the answer is given in verse 30. If there were nothing else in the Bible on this subject, This would be sufficient for me to avoid the substance here specified. But let's take a different approach. Can you imagine someone wanting or being attracted to the symptoms listed in verse 29? What would you think if someone said to you, I just can't wait to get off on Friday so I can go get me some woe and sorrow and strife and complaining and wounds without cause? and don't forget the red eyes. Yet, that is exactly what many people do on Fridays, some perhaps every evening. Liquor stores historically have their biggest days on Fridays and Saturdays, so that many people can experience the symptoms written in Proverbs twenty-three twenty-nine. Does that make good sense to you? Can you imagine someone going into a store where alcohol is sold, and saying to a sales representative, Listen, do you have anything that will give me woe, sorrow, strife, complaining, wounds without cause, and redness of eyes? Oh, yes, sir, we do. Over here on aisle five, we even have it in gallons. Does that make good sense to you? People do this all the time. And in this passage, what do you think God is saying about that practice? If you don't want the symptoms written in verse 29 caused by alcohol, pay good attention to verse 31. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. This doesn't say, go ahead and have some, just not too much. You'll know when to stop. This says, do not look at it. Remember, prohibitions are introduced by these simple words, do not. So, what are you thinking so far? Listen again. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine? Those who go to try mixed wine? Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. All right, pretty clear so far, don't you think? Let's move ahead. Often in the book of Proverbs, we are warned about some type of behavior by being asked to consider the end result. So something looks good and others are inviting us to it, but the warning is consider the end of it. Verse 32, in the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. 
Now, here is something that in the beginning may seem to have a good effect, but look at that phrase, in the end. God calls us to look at the end of a thing. God's wisdom says, look out what's going to happen. In the end, it bites like a serpent. Do you like snakes? I don't either. By the way, I'll offer this next bit of information to illustrate how foolish people can be about what they drink and about the drive of addiction. In China, Taiwan, Cambodia, the Philippines, and other Asian cultures, there is actually something called snake wine. And by the way, often has nothing to do with grapes. People take grain alcohol, which was called white lightning or moonshine in American history. People take grain alcohol and drop a live snake into it and let it marinate and then drink the whole concoction. That is a case where, in a manner of speaking, you get the snake in the beginning of the process. But people want their woe and sorrow. The rest of our passage is a picture of the drunk. Beginning at verse 33, your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. My three-year military career in the 60s put before my eyes a lot of behaviors I never really wanted to see. Sometimes we would have a weekend off, no duty. So you would get off Friday afternoon, and you wouldn't have to get back to your unit until Sunday night. If you were in the barracks on Sunday night, as those soldiers came back from their three-day weekend, you would hear strange things and perverse things, Men would stagger and fall, dizzy like they were out in the middle of the sea. There would be fights and noise and damage and vomiting. Yet, there would be this expression of foolishness. When can I do this again? When shall I awake? I must have another drink. What do you think this passage is telling us? By the way, a sub-point here. Read the statutes of most states in this nation. Read how impairment is defined, what law enforcement looks for. It will almost always resemble or sometimes duplicate Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. And we ought to apply this equally to intoxication from other substances like marijuana and cocaine. So listen again with me. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. 
four final comments, and then I'll add a story of personal experience and significance. Number one, does this sound like the inspired writer is making a case for moderation or abstinence? Uh, I know people who state their case for moderation. Often there is the assertion that wine in the Bible is recommended, and in some passages it sounds like it. But context must always be our guide. The word wine in the Bible is sometimes used to refer simply to juice from the grape that is a blessing. Wine in this passage, however, look at the context, is the intoxicating beverage. And it says, do not look at it. Second point, what is said here is in harmony with everything else Proverbs says about God's wisdom in life, honoring God, applying in your life self-control, resisting temptation, and having good influence. It all fits with the whole tenor of Proverbs about living your life in keeping with the purposes of the Creator. Now my third point may hurt some, but we are all big boys and girls. When we consider what is said about this, we must also speak out against something else in this context. That's right, gluttony. Proverbs 23, 19 through 21. Hear, my son, and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Now, it may not be the same, but in both cases we are warned. Alcohol in its very nature has impact on our judgment. Too much food has impact on us too. If I condemn one, I must consistently condemn the other. I make the distinction between the substances consumed while being consistent if not convicting to those of us who sometimes eat too much. In the case of both intoxication and gluttony, the Proverbs warn us of bad results. Number four, the New Testament contains warnings about alcohol like this in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 5. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. I promised a personal story. In 1957, my father decided it was time for me to witness intoxication. 
He wanted his 10-year-old son to see and smell drunkenness. My mother was not entirely convinced. My grandmother was opposed to it. Against these protests, my father carried out his plan. He consulted with his best friend, who was the father of my best friend, and they were agreed. One of the elders in the church was the chief of police in Fort Smith, Arkansas. A time was set on a Saturday morning. My father and best friend's father took us to the jailhouse. And first we went into Brother Brock's office, and he showed us various pictures on the wall of local police history. He unloaded his revolver and let us hold it, and we played with the handcuffs, and we thought all of that was a lot of fun. Then he took us to see the jail. And as he entered the outer jail area, Brother Brock was approached by the jailer who said, Wait a minute, Chief, I'll go clean the place up. Brother Brock said, No. I don't want anything cleaned up. He took us to see a row of cells called drunk tanks. The first thing to hit us was the odor. The men in these holding cells looked awful. They were soiled, some of them passed out, exposed, coughing, uh, speaking unknown words, and we were shocked. We gagged. And we looked at Brother Brock and our fathers, and they didn't say anything because the scene said everything. Lesson learned. But it was here in the Bible all the time in Proverbs 23. If you believe this teaching reflects what the Bible says, please share. Thank you for listening.